FreshEd has a big announcement. Earlier this month, the Open Society Foundations provided a sizable donation to the podcast. With these new funds, we will be able to transcribe all of our shows and begin translating some into Mandarin and Arabic. This funding has also ushered in a new era for FreshEd. We now have a dedicated board of directors overseeing the podcast. Members include David Edwards, Yuto Kitamura, Iveta Salova, Keita Takayama, and Arithi Sriprakash. Plus, we are now receiving management support from the Tagore Sengupta Foundation as we apply for non-profit status. Our growth would not have been possible without you, our listeners. So thank you for your support. This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today marks the third anniversary of Fresh Ed. To celebrate, we are going to air our first ever Fresh Ed Live event, where Saskia Assassin joined me for a conversation about her life and work. Saskia Assassin is a professor at Columbia University. In 1991, she published the now classic book called The Global City, where she chronicled how New York, London, and Tokyo became the centers in the new digital economy. What she focused on was the rise of intermediary services like financial, legal, and accounting services that allowed corporations to operate globally. Instead of seeing place as no longer necessary in the digital economy, as some argued, she saw certain cities as physical sites that became more important than ever in the global economy. It's particularly interested in these, uh, what I call these intermediaries. In other words, not the big corporation, but all the specialized service firms that the big corporation needs if it wants to operate globally. For Sassen, intermediaries concentrated in certain parts of the city and relied on high-level knowledge, such as algorithmic mathematics. In New York City, financial services took over Lower Manhattan. This left a strange reality for the physical buildings in the city. So we on the street see the building, but the action is not that building. The action, that building has been transformed into, if you want, a field of material assets. Why? because the high investment circuit got tired of derivatives several years ago and said, no more derivatives for me. The derivatives can go to the teachers, the policemen, the schools, not for me. Asset-backed security. As a result, many people who didn't work in intermediary services were expelled from those parts of the city. And yet, despite this expulsion by intermediaries, new forms of inclusion were created. The city is one of the spaces today where the expelled, where those without power, get to make a history, they get to make an economy, they get to make a culture. So the city really matters. Well, Saskia Sassen, thank you very much for joining us today, for being the first guest on Fresh Ed Live. Oh, um, really? I'm a first. So I actually wanted to, based on your conversation today, your lecture, primarily about New York City and the global city. I wanted to situate us in Tokyo, where we're sitting mm -hmm. currently. Um, yeah. When was the first time you were in Tokyo? I, it must have been in the early 1980s. Early 1980s. Right, and Tokyo was in transformation 
you know it was really a changing it was beginning i mean it was there was a lot of construction yeah uh the jacuzzi were busy burning down little houses in the center of uh tokyo because they wanted to put towers i mean it's quite a and new york city was the same situation a lot yeah. of burning down of little houses so that they could put high-rise buildings <laughs> i mean so, so when i arrived in tokyo the tokyo always is far more civilized you know than than uh, but there was a lot of activity and i spent time in the in the daily the daily labor camp in yokohama that was an experience i mean i learned so much it was an amazing experience for me and professor toshio yotani was was a very important part of this and there were some others yeah and so in yeah. Your article, you say that Tokyo was a city that exported the raw commodity we call money. Can you tell us what you mean by that? What do you mean by the, the raw commodity of money versus New York being sort of the financial right. intermediary? Yeah, in, in a sense that it was just, there was a lot of capital here in the form of money. You know, whereas in New York, they had sort of used up money and they were inventing instruments that would produce, you know, other valuations. So, so Tokyo for a while, eh, for a while, really exported a lot of just money, I mean, currency, you know, uh, to New York. I don't know if to London, I can't remember that part, but certainly to New York. But it was also the fact that that money in New York, given the new instruments that were being invented, uh, that money could generate far higher levels of profits than what was happening in Japan, where it was basically a traditional mode still. I mean, that eventually that changes, huh? but for a while, when I came here, that is what, what was happening. Now, what was also happening when I came here was that you began to see a lot of foreign experts, mostly from London and New York, um, who were beginning to introduce other modalities, huh? where you don't just lend money with an interest rate, but you actually produce instruments that can escalate the value of an existing pile of currency. And this would be the intermediation? And this would be an, a form of intermediation, that is correct. So, would, right. so in a sense, intermediation, the intermediary services that you were talking about yeah. as being sort of one of the distinguishing features yeah. of global cities yeah. weren't necessarily here in the 80s, but eventually emerge in Tokyo? Well, what I remember, because I, I played the role of uh, uh, stupid blonde, literally. I dyed my hair and I conducted myself like I am not. For starters, I raised my voice. No, really, are you really telling me that? No, that's not, but really, tell me more, this is so interesting. Shall we have a drink? And it worked. Ah, well, I found out a lot of stuff. <laughs> I could not publish all of that. <laughs> not, I mean, no, I don't mean, no, this was really, I can see that this was a misunderstood statement that I just gave. <laughs> no, no, I just, I mean, you know, some of these things I couldn't because it was, it was insider knowledge. I mean, right. people really talked to me, I can tell you. And I looked younger than I really was, and I conducted myself as stupid. And it really works with men. <laughs> I don't mean to offend. Not nowadays. That would not happen nowadays. But yeah, so but that was just one tactic. Yeah. When I went to the daily labor camps, I did not conduct myself like stupid. 
and I would walk there, and, and the Yakuza, they kept walking around me. I walked, you know, they walked too, but they were... Then I conducted myself neutral, no speech. And there was this priest that then got murdered. He was a Catholic priest from Philippines, and he was an activist in, in this camp in Yokohama. And, uh, and the Yakuza killed him because he was fighting for the rights of those. You know, they were, a lot of these were homeless older men, but among them also were students who had been students at the top university, Tokyo University, who had been fighting so that there was no extension of the airport, remember, which meant that they were protecting the fields of farmers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the students were expelled from Tokyo University, and they wound up in daily labor camps. By the time I got to them, you know, they were already, they, they were not 25 years old. They were more like, I think, 35 years old, you know, and they looked really broken. Mm -hmm. And so the daily labor camp in Yokohama, for me, was a major experience. So for instance, I remember, so they put me in a safe house with a priest and some other people, activists, and what I remember is that there was no water in this room. A whole night without being able to have any water. Now I suffered, the others were there, who were there, they were all men, they, they evidently were used to that. But you know, that, that experience in the daily labor camp put me in very close touch with a kind of hardship that is a routinized hardship, not the drama of, oh my God, you know. No, no, sort of that this was the daily routine. And I mean, I just learned a lot. And then I also went to the big daily labor camp in Osaka, mm. which was a very different type of camp, actually, from Yokohama, you know? So yeah, I, I, that, that visit of mine that lasted many, many months, it was an amazing experience. I spent nights in safe houses of young girls who were brought in for the sex trade. Mm. I got to know at Tokyo <laughs> that many of you probably never saw. And what did that tell you about the global city, this emerging well, idea? Cities, cities, cities are that. Cities are spaces where just about everything is present. I mean, it's just amazing. Mm. You know, it, it is that way. And uh, did I answer your question? Yes, I, I mean, oh. so it's interesting. I mean, your, your work has often been about the abuses of power that are lawful rather than fraudulent and illegal. Yes, very nice. Very nice that you picked up on that. And I am really interested in, in, in that, in how the law has itself enabled abuses, right. but they're all legal. Right. That, that is, a, you know. Yeah. And, and you end up exploring a lot of these expulsions and sort of new forms of inclusions that result yeah. from those people who have been expelled in certain places. I actually want to change the focus yeah. slightly to thinking about the latest intergovernmental panel on climate change, the uh -huh. UN report yeah. that just came out that basically offered a very dire warning about climate change and yet never mentioned the word capitalism and did not see economic growth as part of the problem creating this climate change that is so dire. So I wanted to ask a little bit about what sort of exclusions and maybe even inclusions maybe in the urban space, in these global cities, that you see vis-a-vis -vis climate change? Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that I'm uh, deeply involved with is uh, 
relocalizing whatever we can relocalize. We now are dealing with an intermediate actor who basically, these are concrete examples, uh, imports uh, English or UK milk to Germany and Germany exports German milk to the UK. And the milk is more or less the same. And that goes for potato, for all kinds of very elementary. Huh? And now they have expanded, it used to be just smaller. Now the geography goes to Australia. The intermediary actors involved here, they never lose. They gain from that trade. The rest, the planet, the local farmers, they lose. So the reason I emphasize so much these intermediaries is because the intermediaries have a hard time losing. You know, they intermediate. And so whether that is in high finance or whether that is in this kind of trading of very simple foods, mm. this has not even elaborated food. And the intermediaries make money. Every time they, they have to take the milk all the way to, to whatever, you know, to, to Australia, as if Australia didn't have milk. Uh, they make money. The losers are, you know, the, the ones who are fixed. So this to me is a, is, a, is a big issue. And of course, high finance is a brilliant, admirable form of knowledge that is functioning as an intermediary. Also, again, difficult for them to lose, but others are paying a price for that. So what can be done? I mean, oh, it, it seems done? like well, the power is really resting yeah. in these intermediaries. Yeah. So at the most at the most general level, my basic answer <laughs> is uh, no formal system of power has lasted forever. <laughs> so I'm hoping that eventually this will crack. Hmm. You know, and my sense is the first indication was the deri the derivatives. I talked about that, yeah. right? That the derivatives losing a lot of ground. They have been around for quite a while. Yeah. Huh? And they are now sort of messing up. It, it's just so that you know is it's not bad that that sort of ends. Right. Um, but I do think that we need new law, and we need to get rid of a few old laws. This is an almost impossible project. Uh, and I'm just talking now about the West, yeah, because I really don't know in Japan how mm -hmm. that all works. But um, but I do think we need to act. Uh, I also think that our political classes, even the well-intentioned one, are having a very hard time. How do you, there is so much specialized expertise right now that it does not make it easy for the political classes, even the well-intentioned ones, to actually make corrections. That leads me to say that we really need a few experts of major sectors among our political classes, which would change the tenor of the liberal democratic model, right? But now we are confronting a situation where when the, when the political class, like the, the Congress in the United States, when they have a bit troubled by something that is happening in high finance, etc., whom do they invite to discuss the matter? You, you guessed it, right? The high financial firms. These firms then trot in the most complex analyses which then again persuade the, the, you know, the people who are trying to change the story that, I mean, the politicians, 
Conservative politicians, yeah, we, we, we don't understand that. We cannot do that. We have to delegate to them. They have done this with the digital. They have done this with finance. They have done this with Facebook. They have done this, you know. That is truly a problem. It tells me that this mode of the political, which has really been quite reasonable in many, many ways, right now, one major absence that needs to be corrected and addressed is we need a bit of experts among our political class who are sitting in Congress, who are making decisions, who have the power to insist, you know, that, that, that this is not good, etc. But you need knowledge, you need expertise. So that means a transformation in how we elect our, you know, this is not going to be easy. But I do think the time has arrived. I mean, I, I, I really am deeply troubled by the level of incapacity among so many legislators to understand what the hell is happening. Excuse the hell. <laughs> so uh, does this mean that politicians are going to have to understand algorithmic math, ma mathematics? No, no. But you want a few. <laughs> yeah. We actually need, we, like having Elizabeth Warren, you know, she is one of our members, who she's an expert on consumer finance. Now, consumer finance happens to be not the most complex, and it's just one sliver. Mm. Eh? But it's great to have her. She understands something that most of the other uh, colleagues in, don't understand. We need, we need a few. I also think that we need people who don't know anything about politics or anything in Congress, you know, in a, in a liberal democratic system. But we also need expertise. So right now, all the complex, uh, like high finance, the, the complex sides of the digital, they, they, they're free to do what they want, more or less. I mean, every now and then they're called, you know, like what happened with Facebook, for instance. Mm. Uh, but still, it, it is, and, and you know, again, sort of on a, on a more general level, no formal system of power or of, of regulation has lasted forever. You know, why should this one? Mm. And secondly, this question of how do our complex types of systems change? How visible is that change? Very difficult to track. And so, you know, if, if it is the case that complex systems change often by shifting familiar capabilities to a different organizing logic, what the average citizen sees is the capabilities. They are the same and nothing has changed. But in fact, a profound transformation. And my sort of my, my analysis, you know, that I launched a bit in the territory book also, is that complex systems change by changing a few things, not by changing everything. So we have entered a new epoch. For me, the 1980s marks a real transformation that had been brewing already before that, that keeps on brewing, but it is a change. And again, mostly everything looks more or less the same, because this is the nature of the animal. That doesn't preclude that a certain type of transformation has happened. And that's sort of, mm. you know. So this is a podcast about education. So I would be oh. remiss not to talk to you about education for my last question. I'm an um, educator. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read your firsthand account in Disobedient Generations, and I was oh. I was very struck. They, I think they they deleted the most controversial part. Oh, really? I'd so. like to read them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what were they about? Oh, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. So, but one thing that struck me was how you seem to be always on the cutting edge of theory, 
but not necessarily the popular fads. So when you were in Paris, you weren't chasing Deleuze, for instance. Right. You were not. That's right. Off with another scholar, De yes, Hunt. Jacques Dante. Dante. So I want to ask today, yeah. who are the theorists that you're reading that you think all of us in the audience should also be reading, but who aren't being read? So in in other words, who are the important academics yeah. currently being overlooked? Mm. You know, that is not an easy question for me to answer, number one. <laughs> number two, if I answer it, I'm at risk of offending <laughs> battalions of people. <laughs> so we could have a little private conversation ah, okay. about <laughs> But spare me and sure. some other. No, I mean, look, what, what I like right now, I, I have this thing that I develop. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting myself. but. I, I say, you know, the heart of the paradigm is still strong, of paradigmatic knowledge in many different disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, but it's losing grip in a world where there are sufficient transformations. So I say I am not <clears throat> rejecting the paradigm, but I want to be at the fuzzy edges of the paradigm, where the paradigm is weak. I don't want to be in the center. Number two, in the social sciences, being at the center of the paradigm, over the last, you know, this is, this, is a, this is a mode of research that starts 50 years ago, 60 years ago. It is far weaker today than it was when it started. When it started, it really helped. It illuminated, it added knowledge, etc. Now, you know, we're talking about little, little debates and the this against the that. I am not part of that. I am not interested. Oh, but you said that, but you know that's wrong because, no, we have to really renovate the paradigmatic mode. We cannot lose it. We need that. Eh? There is no doubt in my mind. But again, the fuzzy edges of the paradigm, where the paradigm loses grip and other paradigmatic edges come into play, that is where I like to be. And that is why I often combine different forms of knowledge, you know, and out of that you see something emerges that is neither any of those nor the sum of those. It's something else. And that could be a bridge. You know, it doesn't always work out, by the way. But it can be a bridge into seeing it differently. So when, when the work on, on the global city had that mm -hmm. in it also. But I want to say for the, for the young academics in the audience, uh, that includes you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, that, um, I mean, you know, the, the paradigmatic matter, number two, if you fight it too hard, I did that with my first book. My first book, I sent it out, I was sure it was going to get published. Back came very interesting stuff. Where does it fit? Twelve rejections. I kept sending it out. In the meantime, I was writing The Global City, so I was totally engaged by that. But, but you know, I kept getting, and I said, no, I'm not going to give up, even if it takes 65 <laughs> mailings. But it took 12. You know, when I look at my doctoral students today, after three rejections, they think that they have a problem. Now, very often that might be the case, you know. But finally, this is my Mobility of Labor and Capital book, which I, I really like that book. And uh, it was published in, 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 in Japanese also. 
but um, but you know the system has a hard time with an author who steps a bit too far out you know of the of the sort of the heart of the of a discipline it is changing i think we now have publishers who are actually actively interested in those that and i have a list of those you know for my students you know the time am etc so that is also very nice so there is a kind of there is a sense that the stability of the paradigm in many different disciplines is a bit weakened and and that is sort of that is healthy when a culture can recognize that mm -hmm. you know that but you know most professors that i know of in the united states they still keep writing within a certain mode and the little wrinkle here the little wrinkle there mm -hmm. and and you know that accumulates knowledge and and in a way that is very useful for me but i myself i, I have a hard time doing that I'm a bit, you know, I don't know what it is with me. But, you know, I grew up in six languages. I don't speak a single language perfectly. <laughs> I love that for a professor. But, uh, <laughs> so I am, inevitably, you know, I am, I, I am an explorer hmm. at the edges of the paradigm, so to speak. Well, Saskia Sassen, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. <laughs> really wonderful to talk today. Wonderful, wonderful speaking with you. Yes. Saskia Sassen is a professor at Columbia University. Today's show was recorded at Masashi University during the third Japanese political economy workshop, organized by Nobuharu Yokogawa. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interview. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, Hong Zong, and Lushik Waba. And original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Bramble, and I'll be back next week.